This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Two very tricky ties well negotiated by City and Pep Guardiola this week as both matches against West Ham and Aston Villa were hard-fought wins, even if for different reasons. There's now some distance between the top three and the rest of the table, but there's barely anything to separate Chelsea, City and Liverpool as the December fixture list begins to get packed. We asked on last week's Blue Moon podcast if City looked like they were about to embark on one of their winning runs, and the evidence is clearly very good from the last two matches. So we'll be looking at how the team fought to get over the line in those, plus we'll preview Saturday's trip to Watford and the dead rubber in the Champions League at RB Leipzig. Howard Hockin is back on this week's show. He's talking about booing. Plus, we'll look at the Rainbow Laces campaign after the two matches just gone. We're supposed to highlight LGBTQ plus inclusion. We'll be speaking to one young City fan who it's had a positive effect on. All of that to come, but first we'll look back on the 2-1 wins over West Ham and Aston Villa. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is Goal.com's City correspondent Jonathan Smith. Hello. And City fan and one football's Dan Burke. Hello. Hello, hello, uh, John. You seemed uh, you seemed quite distant when you gave me your hello. Then it was almost as if, yeah, I'm here. All right, yeah, I've got to do this. Come on, let's get on with it. <laughs> I'm so, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm very much in in tune with everything that's going on. Is everything all right? I'm, I'm, You're not, I'm, not, I'm, not distracted or anything? I, I probably I was just listening so carefully to every, your every word that I just wasn't ready for my bit. Wasn't ready for it. Was like a no look hello, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was a no look. Bit of a no look pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Right. Uh, so yeah, two. Uh, I've I, I called them kind of gritty performances. Um, I don't know if that's that's the right phrase, but at least two positive results. Um, the one thing I would say, John, is that is that perhaps neither game was was vintage City, uh, but it is six wins in a row now in all competitions. I, I kind of half agree with uh, half of what you're saying. So, you know, I thought. Uh, so you were, you, so you're a quarter like... agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, at times against, particularly the first half against Villa, I thought it was. Some of the best, fo- you know, some of the best football we've ever seen uh, under Pep. You know, they're just so just tearing them apart. So good, so fantastic. And then, and you and you're right. They kind of did turn into both kind of turned into gritty performances. That they had to ended up having to dig out victories. So, uh, yeah, I kind of I, I know what you mean, um, but I still think some of the football is so good. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, the, the other side of it is it's, like I say, six wins uh, in a row now. Um, here's what Guardiola said when he was asked about the pitcher at the top of the table this week because it's it's getting uh, pretty tight. This this is what he said. If you see the machine scoring goals Liverpool, they are. And uh, the consistent from Chelsea. So, yeah, important is being there. So we, we had an incredible, tough, tough first part of the league with incredible, tough games away. And we are there one point behind, not far away. The fifth in the table is already seven, eight points. So, so yeah. But the important is the way we are performing, and the way they're performing is is in high, high level. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. He's right, isn't he, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy with with where we are at the moment, with how City are playing. I think, you know, we're in a very close title race. It's a three-horse title race with Chelsea and Liverpool, who are both really good. We're in touching distance of both of them in second place. And it's I'm seeing a lot of desire from City this season, which I'm almost seeing... It feels like I'm seeing more desire from City than I've ever seen from them under Pep Guardiola, or perhaps ever at all. Um, I feel like 
they're really working hard for each other. That they, they've had some tough games that they've they've got through lately. You know, playing against uh, against West Ham in the snow at the weekend was a really tough game. Going to Villa Park with that atmosphere, with a kind of depleted team, and, and getting through it and working for each other and fighting for each other. That's what I'm, I'm more encouraged by than anything. And, and and we are playing beautiful football as well, which is great to see as well. Um, I don't think you could ask for much more than just being, being where we are in the title race at the moment. I'd like to see us scoring a few more goals. You know, I mean, you look at the goal difference and Liverpool are kind of streaking ahead a bit there and you do wonder if it's going to come down to, to fine margins. Is that going to be the one that kind of denies us the title come the end of the season? Um, but they're defending really well as well. Um, that You know, they've only, only Chelsea have conceded fewer goals than City this season. So, yeah, I think, we're playing really well. I'm confident about where we are. I don't know if uh, if we are going to win the league, but we're going to give ourselves a fighting chance and that's all you can ask for, really. I can't believe how I've let myself get into this position, Dan, but I, I was sitting here, when, when you were saying, it, you know, it, it, it's fine margins, but it could come down to, I was thinking it never comes down to goal difference. As if, <laughs> as if like, we don't have personal experience of that. Apart happening, from that one know? very famous occasion yeah. when it did come down to goal difference. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, John, it's, uh, it's three, two, one wins in a row now. Um, weirdly, this run reminds me a little bit of, of that run they went on in, in 17-18. They kept winning 2-1 then, but it, it, it's slightly different. They, back then, they were they kept finding ways to win when it seemed unlikely with, with, with late goals. At the moment, it seems to be like they're defending really well when it when the pressure's on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. You know, it's it's almost like you turn up to a match, they score, and, and you, your first thought is, right, blow your, blow your whistle. We've got City ahead. Let's let's call it a day and just take take the win rather than think about the fantastic football we could be watching or the, the potential of winning 4-5-0. Um, you know, the, the, you can't get away from the fact that they are missing a goal scorer. I know it's a debate that's been raging since the start of the season. I thought at times against Villa, the first 20 minutes, they were so dominant, they could have been, in other seasons, 3 or 4 nil ahead. Aguero would have had three, wouldn't he? Well, exactly. Be- before the match, um, a, a couple of a couple of videos, well, a couple of Twitter accounts were, were tweeting out that video of when Aguero became the record goal scorer and most hat tricks. And it, I just was just thinking, God, you know, if that Aguero was playing tonight, he probably would have had a, had a couple. He's just just missing occasionally that just that instinct of knowing where the ball is going to is going to go. Um, you go back to you know, Sterling was was creating chances, getting to the byline, getting those pullbacks, and just. No one around, and yeah, it, I completely agree with you on that one. We are at that stage where it's about the wins rather than the you know the blowing teams away in style, yeah. which which is a lot of fun to watch as well. Yeah, Dan, uh, John mentioned Sterling there. Um, I I felt there, there was a point kind of like midway through the first half when the penny dropped that it, that it felt like the old Sterling was back again against Villa. Yeah, yeah. The, the last few games, he's, he's been getting towards those kind of levels and, and Guardiola, uh, you know, was was fulsome in his praise from after after the Villa game and, and rightly so I thought he was he was our best player on the night and I think that goal against uh, Club Bruges a few weeks ago did him the world of good I think that restored a bit of confidence in himself and yeah he's playing in, in a position that we've seen him play uh, in recent years a kind of varying degrees of effect coming in off the left hand side but he's he's looking dangerous again he's looking like a goal threat he's 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 creating goals he's uh, yeah he's, he's in great form it's good to see I didn't know if we were going to see this kind of this Sterling again there's still a bit of talk about his future about whether he might be looking to move on in January and, and, and the way he's played at the moment. I really hope he stays. Yeah, this was what Guardiola said after the game. Uh, the, the interesting thing about this is it was completely unprompted. He wasn't asked about Sterling at all uh, and he just dived in 
and, and, and said this. Today, I would like to praise especially one player with Raheem Sterling. Today, he, he played the best game since a long time ago. So he's hopefully he can continue in this way because it was exceptional. In the first half, in the second, he was a threat for us and, uh, and he deserved all my compliments because he was sensational. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. The criticism he's had, John, uh, lately has been that he's been quite indecisive. He gets he gets in good positions and then doesn't make a decision. And yet, I, I can't really explain it, but on Wednesday night, the number of times where he got the ball and delayed it and held it and held it and held it, you still felt yeah. like he was going to make the right decision at the end of, uh, of of that kind of passage of play. He got himself an assist as well. Um, but the number of times when he when he got the ball on on the left wing and he was kind of doing that thing, you know where you have all your body weight on your left-hand side, but the ball on the right-hand side where your right foot is, and it's obvious that you want to cut back onto your right, but then sometimes you'll shift it to your left and kind of sprint in behind that way. Yeah. He, he, was just, he, he was just dominating the fullback, wasn't he? He, he didn't have a clue what was going to happen to him. Um, he, in the second half, he was playing right underneath where I was sat, and there was one occasion where... He did five tricks against Cash, and he 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 was beaten every time. And it was like he could just he, he had him on on straight on a string. He just the defender just didn't know which way he was going, and he was just hanging in there. Occasionally, he overplayed it a little bit, but mostly he was making the right choices. And like you say, it was interesting that Guardiola, unprompted, decided to, to pick out Sterling's performance last night. I mean, he was superb. Um, but in recent weeks, I think, like Dan was saying, I think was, we, we've thinking that he's been getting back to his best and and Guardiola has been asked about Sterling and he's and he's not been over the top with his praise he's been yeah he was good he's good yeah good goal today and stuff like that whereas um last night I think he's like you say it's the old Sterling that was the old Sterling um just full of confidence I mean it's kind of the England Sterling as well because he's been doing it for England throughout this period but just just not been happening for him at City um and uh, yeah, like I say, you know, he's, he's been asked about it because I think, I think a, lo- a lot of people are just desperate to get him to get to see him get back to where he was because he's been so you know he's been so consistently good for what four or five seasons. Um, well, it's him and, and a, it's, it's a him and Aguero, of, isn't it? Yeah, that have been Guardiola's yeah. go-to players. Yeah, but he's, he's been yeah. So he's going to say he's he's been such a big part of the Guardiola story, um, and it would. It would be a shame to see it fizzle out with these rumours of him leaving and contract talks and stuff like that. Actually, the best uh, solution is that he rediscovers his absolute best, does it for City and stays for another four years because everyone's a winner. Yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, I thought he might have to move to the right, Dan, but uh, it, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it hasn't happened that way, has it? I mean that that might have played a part because I think certainly one of the games recently he kind of did play over there. Um, I don't think anyone has a set position in that City forward line at the moment. I don't think anyone has a set position in the same game. They move around so much, but I think with him more than anything, it's just it was just a case of getting his confidence back a little bit. And I think confidence is is more of a kind of universal thing than you think. Sometimes it's more it's more of a universal thing and less a personal thing. Like I think. He was not confident and we could smell that he was not confident and that, that gave us a lack of confidence in him. Defenders could smell that he wasn't confident. That made it, it easier to play against. And the weird thing about it is that during this kind of like 
rough patch that he had at City, he was England's best player at the Euros and was still performing really well for England in other games. So when he, when he pulled an England shirt on, he had that confidence, he had that self-belief. When he played for City, for some reason it wasn't there. And uh, yeah, you, you could probably trace it back to just that tapping against Club Bruges that suddenly gave him a bit more self-belief and, and look at him go now. Let's just hope he keeps going from strength to strength. Yeah. Speaking of someone who's going from strength to strength, uh, John, um, Bernardo Silva. I can't. That, like, I'm running out of words to to uh, you know praise him with. Um, with De Bruyne struggling, you know whether he's been injured or ill this season, uh, Bernardo has stepped up to the creativity plate. Is is he simply City's most important player right now? Yeah, I think he is um, because when they need something, he's the one who seems to be doing it more than anybody else. Um, yeah, I mean it was it was a great team effort against Fuller. Um, but if you yeah, if you're looking for one person to pick out, it is Bernardo, and the, and and the goal was just ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, just uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 there was about a, there was a sort of it was probably what half a second, but it felt like a couple of seconds where the ball was in the air from from um, Gabriel Jesus, the cross came in, and I was sat next to uh, Paul Bayus, you know, the Spanish journalist. Yeah. And I was just leaning into him, going, "No, no, no, no!" And then he and then he hit it first time. I was like, "Ah, oh, what are you doing? This is ridiculous! <laughs> just, just brilliant, just fantastic!" And and just, just, just kind of, I think everyone could see it was going to go in. To 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 do that, to have the confidence, and to kind of expect it to go in is just shows what a level he is playing at right at this moment. Yeah, that's it, isn't it, Dan? The confidence, because you know, in, in any other season, like he would take that down. He'd control it, and he would still score. But it would be it mm. would be a case of bring it down, get yourself a better chance. And the fact that he that he saw it coming over his shoulder and just went, "Now nah, I'm going to hit this." Yeah, I mean, there was no need for him to hit it straight on the volley. Really, uh, he, he had time to do something with it, but but the way he did it was just it was like a computer game goal. It was like as simple as he just sort of pressed a button on the on the controller and and it flew into the into the roof of the net. And you know the 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 way he guided it with this kind of side foot as well was a little bit of unusual technique, but. It was just a beautiful goal, one of those that sort of elicits a very strange noise from you when you're watching it and it goes in. <laughs> yeah. Um, Can you recreate that for us, Dan? Yeah, go on, give it us a go. Like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> there we go, there we go. I, I, will, I will not confirm or deny whether I made a noise similar to that one. Either. Um, I want to talk about the defence briefly because uh, Nathan Ake got chucked in, John. Um, how do you think he did? I thought he was good. I think we're always watching him, aren't we? Because um, the other three are so strong at the moment. Uh, I mean, maybe Laporte's going through a sticky period again, but generally, you just think those those three of Stones, Diaz, and uh, and uh, Laporte in the side, you kind of don't really have to worry too much about the centre backs. They might make the odd mistake here and there, but generally, generally. For ninety minutes, they're they're right on top of it, and when Ake comes in, you get a little bit twitchy. He's made mistakes. He's had games where he's looked good, and then one error has led to a goal or an opportunity, and he's slightly lost his nerve. Um, but Villa pushed that in the second half. They were, you know, they were there were these long throw-ins. They were they were getting uh, crosses into the box. And pretty much he stood up well to that. So it was a good night for him, I think. 
I feel a little bit bad for him, Dan, because he only ever seems to get his chance in kind of makeshift City defences and City sides. And that it's not really conducive to, to impressing, is it? If, you, if you're playing, you know, in a bit of a rotated team and, and, you know, you can feel that the pressure's on you anyway. And then you're in a team where there is a bit of an experience or there is a bit of injury or there's, you know, players who aren't quite informed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think Guardiola feels bad for him as well, doesn't he? He often mentions that he, he wants him to play more. And it's one of those that you, you kind of wonder why we signed him, really. Because um, he's only ever going to be our fourth best centre-back. I, I find it very hard to imagine him being better than than any of the, the three players ahead of him, which means that he's only ever going to come in when someone's injured or, or for a cup game. Game or, or something like that. Um, I thought he did. He did pretty well against Villa. I thought he looked a little bit wobbly at times, but that's to be expected. Um, we know he, that he, we've could got he have him conceded there. a penalty. I don't, I don't. I don't think so personally. No, I thought that would have been very soft if that if that had been given. Um, I, yeah, I thought it, I thought he sort of did well, and and Rodri was kind of coming in behind him as well, and it was just I think Villa were appealing for something that, that wasn't really there but yeah I think he, you know he's, he's good on the ball he's he's a reliable player we can bring him in when when needs be uh, I don't know how long he's going to be satisfied with that role probably not for much longer and you do often hear um, kind of transfer rumours that City are interested in such and such a defender and you kind of think well surely we're not going to sign him and not sell someone else and you would think Ake will be the first player on the list to, to go if we were to bring someone else in so yeah I'm, I'm not sure what the future holds from at City really but he's kind of a nice utility player to have for the time being yeah and just looking at the player next to him Dan what was the noise you made when Diaz hit the net do you know I, I was working well during the game so I didn't even see that goal live I was kind of like <laughs> looking away doing something else I just kind of looked up and it, it was a bit like the the goal the Bernardo goal at Old Trafford the other week it almost looked like it hadn't gone in the net at first and then I saw what I thought was Rodri wheeling away in celebration. Then the camera went on to Diaz. I was like, Diaz scored from there. How did that happen? So, uh, yeah, no, no strange noises, unfortunately. Just a bit of confusion. Oh, that's a shame. It unfortunately, was deflected, though. That's uh, that's probably how it found its way into the only box. Slight, only slightly, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. John, any noises in the press box when that one went in? Because it, it was a decent, unexpected goal. Uh, no, uh, sadly not. No, ah, it's press no, box um, etiquette, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say what was quite interesting last night. The the press facilities were were kind of closed because of because of everything. And um, so at half time, I, I I was using the the gents with the um, with the Villa fans and things like that. It was and it was quite interesting <laughs> overhearing some of the conversations from the Villa fans. Um, firstly, there were a couple of blokes chatting about the fans, about the City fans, about how brilliant they were, which I thought was great because no one would ever publicly say that from a, a, an opposing fan base, but they were saying how good they were. Um, and also about the team, he was just saying they're just so impressive, just so fantastic to watch in the first half. So, so it was quite a, quite an interesting window because you don't normally get, you know, slightly um, through the keyhole look at what people really think about City. Yeah, let's not use the phrase through the keyhole when it comes to the gents, shall we? Um, that's, uh, yeah. I, I thought uh, you were going to say you having to use the toilet with the riffraff for a second there, or the, the hoi polloi or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Perhaps you should avoid all that conversation. Then, yeah. uh, before we I derail... around. Yeah, I, I, would, I just said this, like, this vision of you milling around in the gents, just seeing what you can overhear, but you know, here we are. Before we derail the show entirely, I want to finish uh, the first part uh, just by this is this is so childish, Dan. I know it's childish, but I can't help myself because I just fucking love games in the snow. So, like, <laughs> I, I just that that game on on Sunday against West Ham, the snow was coming down. And I was thinking, yeah, I can't see a thing, but you know what? This is great. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's lovely to see. I, I love the uh, the ball making a trail in the snow when it yeah. was when it was moving around. That was that was very satisfying to see. But uh, yeah, I, I've, the the yellow ball. I think it's an absolute disgrace to be honest with you. That, that Where's the orange one? We still, yeah, the orange one was fine. Yeah, well, the the I mean, the yellow ball is not necessary most of the time because the white ball is perfectly visible in most conditions. Um, even you know, even in the winter when the when the floodlights are on and stuff like that, you don't need a yellow ball. Then the snow comes down and you can't see the yellow ball. So what is the purpose of it? It's just a marketing ploy, isn't it? Basically, surely it should be orange. That would make a lot more sense. I mean, I was watching this game on TV at the weekend. I couldn't see the ball at times. You know, there was that chance when um, Jesus had a, a shot cleared off the line. I had no idea if that had gone in or not for a few seconds. I don't know what it was like in the stadium, but on TV it was, you know, almost unwatchable at times. Yeah, the bloke next to me tapped me and went, "What happened there?" And I went, "I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no idea. I think I think he hit the post, mate, and he didn't. It was cleared off the line, wasn't it?" Yeah, um, John, I have to finish. Any any good memories of City in the snow? There's there's three off the top of my head, but I won't dive in there just in case you've got one of them. My my memories of snow are traveling down to Spurs and getting outside the ground and being told that an hour before kickoff the game was called off. Yeah, the same at Brentford. I, I, I can't actually remember any memorable games in the snow, sorry. Well, I've got uh, Zabaleta's late winner at Stoke in the FA Cup. Uh, that, that was the first time they'd won at the Britannia for a long time. Um, Fulham at home when Aguero scored a penalty and the snow fell off the roof of the net. I love that. Uh, West Brom on Boxing Day when uh, Pellegrini went there with no uh, with no strikers and they won 3-1, Fernando scored. That Stoke one, that, I feel like that was a dusting of snow more than a, a sort of heavy snowfall, wasn't it? No, there, was, there, being... there was reports was of snowball fights outside the stadium. <laughs> Well, that's Absolutely quite, uh, sure, yeah. But PSG, uh, quite, quite mild for Stoke, isn't it? PSG in the semi-final last season, which is oh, a bit oh yeah, it was in April. It, it just took everyone by complete shock. That one, yeah. Was it more hailstone than snow? That though, are we getting bogged down in semantics uh, here? I don't know, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. None yeah. of us are meteorologists, are we? So uh, <laughs> I think we should uh, we should probably leave it there and move on. Um, yeah, so on Sunday, the scoreboard and advertising displays at the Etihad were rebranded with rainbow colours. In both that match and the game at Villa Park, the captains wore rainbow armbands and the fourth official's board had its colours changed too. It's all part of the Rainbow Laces campaign to promote LGBTQ plus inclusivity in football. Ahead of the West Ham game, I spoke to 16-year-old City fan George, who told me how much of a positive effect on his life the campaign had when it helped him come out to family in 2019. The Rainbow Laces campaign, I love it. I think it's amazing that it's being, it's, it's basically a regular thing now because we don't have, Premier League doesn't happen during June, which is Pride Month. You know, Rainbow Laces is brilliant in December and November. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's nice to see, you know, going to different stadiums, all kitted out in rainbows. It's, it's nice. It's a lovely atmosphere. And it's nice to hear, like, from clubs and, pl- and players that, hey, we support you. You know, you're welcome in this sport. And it, it, it's lovely, you know, when you when you go online and you see, oh, your favourite player's wearing some laces or they're wearing or wearing the rainbow armband in a game. It's lovely to see that. Yeah. I mean for for yourself, um, I mean how's how's it how's it helped you? For me, yeah. Um it's definitely helped me because it's my um it's very much connected to my family because um, you know, we've all been city supporters um, ever since, ever since I was existed at least. But um, really, it helped me sort of um, come out to my dad because um, fo- football's a really, really good way just to conversate. If, if we can't, if we don't, if we can't think of anything to conversate about, we'll just talk about city because, yeah. of course, you do. 
but it was really nice and it, and, it, and just to see him also I hadn't have really seen him exposed to this sort of stuff before now I know he's been exposed to it multiple times beforehand but I wasn't so sure I'd already told my mum and she was happy for me but um it was when I told my dad he was proud of me for saying that and he was proud that he that um he was a I was able to you know be comfortable around in such a place that can sometimes be slightly hostile but it's always it's it's just nice that I can speak to my parents about it and it's also helped me talk to my friends about it um it's it's a wonderful thing it's really helped me um talk to people I know closely who are connected through football yeah it's been been kind of that way in isn't it that's 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 one of the one of the big things about it i guess is that uh, you you know just having that campaign there means you can say hey this actually applies to me as well yeah it's like oh i'm part of this this is for like people like me this is people in all this massive community that seems to be you know it feels like they should be they should be expressed it feels nice that we have as much as it's nice to have our own little celebration in the premier league it's it's nice to see it happens throughout. I mean, for example, going into games, you'll see little community banners with rainbows on them. You know, outside of rainbow laces, it's like, oh, that's cute. That's there. And it's nice to show, like, all throughout the season, you know, especially the city as well. There's such a lovely, welcoming community at the Etihad. It's, it's lovely to see that all year round. Yeah. I mean, the, the other side of it as well, you said to me that uh, your dad's worn the rainbow laces as well. So how, how does that make you feel? That makes me really proud to know that he supports um, he supports me, supports all or everyone else who's come out or you know in that community. Uh, it was um, it was that same game actually the the game that I confessed to him uh, it, afterwards. It was the uh, it was twenty nineteen. It was against United. We lost that game, which was a bit of a disappointment. But they were giving out free uh, laces. And I was like, "Oh, can we can we put these on?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." And we we put them on, and it's on, it's on an old pair of trainers now, but um, I'm, it's just some, it's sort of like a sentimental value to them. And when it's like match days and stuff, his work boots, he has them on, and we'll always have that little rain, not like like a massive, you know, like a massive like suit and tie that's rainbow. But just little things. Yeah, just uh, just something a, a, a nice little uh, little show of support. So that was it was the 2019 uh, Manchester derby, which uh, which City went on to lose. Um, obviously, then the pandemic's happened, and you know we we haven't been able to go to games for quite a while. Uh, it's going to be rainbow laces for City this weekend. Uh, when people hear this, it'll actually be the weekend just gone. Um, I, I'm guessing you'll be you'll be having your show of support there as well. Of course, yeah, I'm going to the the West Ham game. Uh, which will be a really fun time. I can't wait to see the Etihad decked out in rainbows like it usually is. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always really happy to show support because, you know, it's always that stereotype around the LGBTQ plus community when it comes to football. I mean, there's things, always, uh, before you mention the pandemic, one massive thing that happened, if I can mention it, was the Jamie Vardy corner flag incident in Sheffield United. It was nice to see afterwards he did donate the uh, the flag to the Pride Foxes. But whenever you see social media posting about, hey, here's rainbow laces, 
and then you look at the comments and you're like, where's Vardy when you need him? It just kind of drains you a bit. Yeah, I was going to say we we um, we connected over social media. Um, what? How does it make you feel when you see everything that goes on around the laces campaign? Because City City post about it, and then you know you kind of have to you kind of have to ignore the replies, don't you? You do. Yeah, it's some a lot of the top comments that filter to the top ones and those likes are always the nice positive ones, which is always great to see. You know, it's always nice. But then, with the further you scroll down, the more it just sort of. It sort of just makes you a bit more sad. It's the whole doom scrolling on Twitter and Instagram, really, that you know most of us are used to these days with the state that it's in. But I mean, it's just nice to see that they they care and they they're blocking those comments and they're getting rid of them as much as it is. They're not trying to like suffocate opinions. Uh, you can have whatever opinions you want on Rainbow Laces. It's just I'm just I'm happy that it's there and I'm happy that. A large majority, it seems, are also on board and are happy with it. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was City fan George talking about the Rainbow Laces campaign. Uh, before we move on, I'm interested um, from kind of from you, your two your two perspectives. How how visible you think the campaign is at the Etihad? Because um, I only ask because. Watford uh, had kind of a, one of those fan TIFO sort of displays uh, at Vicarage Road uh, in midweek. Uh, there were rainbow flags at Villa Park, but then it, it feels like there's, there's not the same visibility at City, Dan. Yeah, I mean, you might be better asking John that because I'm I'm a bit of an armchair fan these days who only watches on TV, so I, I don't see an awful lot. I mean, obviously there's the the captain's armband uh, which all Premier League clubs wear now, and the the uh, do they still do the corner flags and and um, a bit of branded in the stadium and outside the stadium. So I think it's definitely there. I think it's it's a Premier League directive, isn't it? The Rainbow Laces campaign. So all the clubs are involved in it. And I, I think maybe City would, uh, I would like to see City sort of doing a little bit more sometimes. Um, you're probably a better place to, to sort of speak about that than I am. But I think with, with City, I don't know wh- whether there is a, a bit of an awareness of the fact that people can very easily level the accusation that, well, your owners are from Abu Dhabi, a country where uh, rights for LGBTQ plus people in particular are, are really bad. And uh, it's it's an easy sort of um, stick to beat City with, with kind of hypocrisy and, and a fair stick to beat them with. Um even if it is made in, in bad bad faith sometimes. So I wonder if, if that plays into it a little bit. But yeah, I, I do think they could do a little bit more, but I think uh, it seems to be something that's kind of improving year on year at clubs up and down the country. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, the, the the kind of improvement of it. Because I'm wondering, John, if I've become a little bit too cynical about the there not being enough done in the past few years. Because I've been critical of how visible it is at City. And now that I'm, I'm starting to wonder, hearing the way that George spoke about it and the way that it helped him, the fact that there is any visibility there, is it, it, it's a big thing. The fact that, that, you know, you look at the advertising boards and you do see the rainbow colours, you see the rainbow colours on the scoreboard. It is an example of how it helps people. I think from a TV point of view, it was a lot more visible uh, this week because of like the, the captain's armband seemed to be really quite striking. And like you said, the advertising hoardings, it felt more visible during the match than it has ever been. Around the ground, I wouldn't say say so much. You know, it, it might, I might be being slightly unfair. Maybe I just didn't notice, but maybe the point is that you, if you're not looking for it, you should still see something anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, during... during the lockdown and when when matches were behind closed doors, the the rainbow flag was quite prominent inside the Etihad Stadium. I, don't, I can't remember too much if it, if that came across well on on TV. 
the other thing, I don't know what it's like um, from a sort of fan's perspective. It it wasn't so long ago that it was it was if people were to shout homophobic comments, it, they wouldn't necessarily be called out. I don't know. I would suspect it's a lot better these days, but I don't know if it's still on the same level as as, as other offensive things that people say. Yeah, my uh, my only thing that, that, that if there was one change that I would make um, to, to to the campaign at the moment is I would actually when you look at, at the things like the the campaigns for no room for racism, kick racism out of football, that sort of thing. Um, we actively talk about the sort of discrimination that it is. Whereas you look at rainbow laces, we talk we we consistently say football is for everyone, and what what that. What I'd like to see more is to say, well, actually, football is for gay people. It's for lesbians. It's for trans people. It's for people who don't identify as heterosexual. And it's as simple as that. It's actually, you know, just give them that name check because mm. the number of times where you see football is for everyone, what it kind of does is it kind of dilutes the the kind of message. And and just I, I worry that it, that it's this kind of catch-all phrase that doesn't really mean anything. So my only criticism would be let's make it mean something for, for future seasons. But, you know, here yeah. we are. I, th- I thought it was interesting that the video they put out with with some of the players from the women's team, which was very well done and, and credit to those players who, who appeared in it. But the women's game is already a very inclusive place for LGBT people. And, you know, there's lots of openly gay players in the women's game and lots of openly gay supporters. And I felt like it was almost just having players from the women's team involved. And I don't know the reason for that. Maybe there was a, a very good reason for that, but it, it was almost kind of preaching to the choir, if you know what I mean. I think maybe doing something that, that Liverpool have done with, with Klopp recently, where he's done a couple of um, couple of bits of social media around this campaign would send out a, a better message than just putting a couple of players from the women's team in there. Yeah, yeah. I would like to see more, more of the men's players involved as well. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's time to uh, move on and look ahead uh, to this weekend's game with Watford and uh, the Champions League game with Leipzig. Uh, let's bring in David Walker from the from the Rookery End podcast and from the Athletic. David, how's life changed under uh, Claudio Ranieri for you? It's definitely changed for the better. Although we haven't picked up loads of points, um, partly because of the fixture list, I think, in terms of playing some of the top teams. But the performances, I don't know if any of you saw the game against Chelsea. On, on Tuesday night and or Wednesday night, sorry. And, um, you know, that really spoke volumes just about how far we've come under him. We look a completely different team, a lot more focused and organised, a lot more up for it, especially going forward. We, we are pressing really well. We're fighting more. We, we look dangerous. We look, we're causing teams problems. Still quite uh, frail at the back. We're still conceding soft goals, you know, gifting teams goals too often still. We still haven't kept a clean sheet this season. But in general terms, the team look in a lot healthier place than than when they were in the first few games of the season under under Cisco. Yeah. What's what's form like at Vicarage Road? Is that uh, is is it any different to on the at home to away from home? Well, we I mean it's it's we're kind of we've had a few Big win. We've had a few good results away. We had like the big win against Everton away from home uh, a few months back and or a few weeks back. We had the big win against Manchester United at home. We're quite a similar team away from home as we are at home. There's sort of really been a bit of a you know not not a real clear pattern either way. But we do definitely favour playing on the break. Uh, so I think that has suited us against some of these bigger teams who are going to have more than the, more of the ball than us. And we've got a lot of pace up front. The likes of Orsar's injured at the moment, but the likes of Josh King, Emmanuel Dennis, João Pedro, you know, they're all dangerous players. 
uh, even Kiko, Kiko Femenia at fullback as well, you know, who's, who's quick on that side as well. So we, we definitely favour playing on the break. So it, it does suit us, perhaps over the course of the season, maybe to play, you know, to be a better away side than at home. But in this in this recent run, when we've been playing some of the bigger teams like Chelsea, like Man United, like we will do against City at the weekend, it kind of suits us as well. <laughs> A little peek behind the curtain for listeners here as well. Uh, I, I bumped into David at the FSA Awards on uh, Monday night, uh, and there's a few other other podcasters around there. And we've been talking. We were talking about potentially doing a Watford City Heaven City Hell for the Patreon page. Um, and David, do you, do you remember the last time uh, that Watford actually beat City to, for, for that we could possibly have a heaven or a hell game in this uh, in this fixture? I mean, off the top of my head, I, I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to. But I, I have, in preparation for this, got the. Um, got the, the the our record up against each other because and I'm just looking now I mean when was it I, I've, I've just had to search for the record as well 1989 88 89 uh, you beat Christ. us 1-0 <laughs> you, I mean there you go there you go I mean it's been you know let you know it's been a, a terrible record over the last few decades then let alone over the last sort of the last few years but I think you, you know your aggregate score against us in the last just even just the last three times we've played you is 18-0 <laughs> so, so you're not exactly you're not exactly our favourite team to play. Well, I've got it as uh, I I wrote it down in Guardiola's tenure at City. It's thirty nine three. Only Burnley have conceded more goals to Guardiola City than Watford have uh, oh. uh, with forty four. But Burnley have played City a few more times. Well, I mean, um, there's some that's some consolation at least that Burnley have had a rougher time. But I just don't understand. I'm going to be talking about this later on our on our from the Rookery End pod. It's not like you do this to every team, Burnley accepted. You know, Villa the other night, you scored against you. you know, West Ham 2 on the other day. Like, there are plenty of teams that if you beat them, you only beat them by one or two goals. What well, I just don't understand why you're such you're such kryptonite to us. <laughs> well, the thing is, let's let's bring it down. Um, when when you see this from a city point of view, you see a, a fixture against Watford. Like genuinely, you you don't turn up and think, oh, another game we're going to score six, do you? Surely not. No, definitely not. No, I'm I'm always uh, wary about going away from home, particularly uh, against against teams like Watford. Maybe I shouldn't be, but yeah, watching Watford recently, I mean, it seems like they they either have a score loads of goals and, and win like they did against Everton and United, or they sort of draw a blank and, and lose. Um, I saw the, the the defending of the, the the game against Leicester at the weekend was really poor, and and uh, as David said, they they were pretty good against Chelsea, a bit unlucky, I think. So. I think it's uh, they're a bit of an unpredictable opponent, really, which is not ideal for us at this moment in time, going into a, a game where we've had a few games coming thick and fast. We're a little bit threadbare squad-wise, or right, we've got a, got a few players coming back, and I wouldn't expect uh, you know what fans to be getting the violins out for us or anything like that. But <laughs> it's 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 a stage of the season where we are um, stretched to the limit a little bit, and coming up against an unpredictable opponent isn't ideal, really. I'm not. I'm not totally confident that we're going to go to Watford and score loads of goals. I think we'll have chances, but we're not scoring a great amount of goals at the moment. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty tough game to call this one, I think, actually. Yeah, John. We're, we're, I mean, Dan says it there. City aren't scoring a lot of goals at the moment. They've, they've, you know, they've, they've squeaked out a couple of two-one wins in the last couple of games. Um, when you hear David say that Watford don't defend very well, that that must be a little bit of comfort for a team. I mean, I know City have a lot of the ball and they pass it around a lot and they they cause teams a lot of problems. But the truth is, they're the lowest scorers of the top three right now. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Claudio Ranieri approaches it. Whether I think he's a bit more. Uh, Pragmatic manager who's comfortable sitting back at, at home games rather than chasing something. So, I was, I was looking at the record between the two managers, and surprisingly, they've only 
come come up against each other once, and Ranieri won. Um, it was a four-two when he was in charge of Leicester. Um, I think. I think oh God, winning, yeah, that was they, they were winning four 0 at one point. Yeah. yeah, and 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 that was at that time that was the the perfect way to play against City, which was just to frustrate them, let them have the have possession, and but not give them any chances and catch them on the break. And obviously that team had Vardy and at his best and. Uh, I think Mahrez was there then, was he? Was it or was he? Yeah. Um, so I can see Ranieri coming up with a similar plan to that, uh, and not being afraid of doing that at home, um, which is going to make it tricky because, like you say, City aren't scoring, and as much as they have done in recent seasons, and you know, it, it, a lot of the time they're getting the ball around the box and just not picking that pass, and yeah, it could be a tight one, definitely. Yeah. David, the, the consolation, I guess, from uh, for City fans is that uh, Claudio Bravo is not in goal for for this vi- visit. I mean, that that, <laughs> that that was the the big bonus that uh, that that Ranieri had the last time he faced uh, he faced Guardiola's side. Um, who are the players that, that that Watford have that could cause City problems in the, on the day? Well, the, the main one at the moment is Emmanuel Dennis, who I think has eleven goal invo- involvements now this season in in the Premier League, six goals, five assists, and he's on fire. Uh, we got him for a, a relatively sort of small amount of money, I think, from from Belgium in the summer, and it was sort of a slightly unheralded signing. And this is a player; he's, I think he's twenty three years old, and he's he sort of played in the Champions League before in Belgium, and he's a you know he's got caps for Nigeria, so he has pedigree. But no one really talked about him. Even Watford fans weren't that excited about it really when he came in. But he's been an absolute revelation. He's quick, he's skillful, and at the moment, he's really confident. He's played off the left, he's played in the middle, he's played on the right, so he can play anywhere across that front, front three. He's showing, you know, not just a, an, a, an aptitude for scoring goals, but setting them up and winning penalties. And he played some, re- he played a really beautiful little, really nice little cute dinked pass into Sissoko last night, who should have scored. Put it on a plate for Sissoko in the first half. We could have gone in 2-1 up. And, you know, it's... It's really encouraging to see how well he's done, but he's not the only one. Josh King has made a really good impact since he, he, he was injured at the start of the season, but since he's got into the team, he's again, he's sort of played either on the left or through the middle, but looking really confident, looking back to the player that he was at Bournemouth as opposed to the one that was frozen out at Everton. Yeah. And then João Pedro has come into the team in recent weeks off the bench at first, but now he's starting games because Ismail Assar, who is our best player, but... Fortunately for you, he's injured for for a little while. There's you know, there's talk we might not see him again this season. It sounds like, sounds like he has got a bad a bad knee injury. But João Pedro, young Brazilian, had a good season in the Championship last season. Very confident, very skillful, but also can handle himself. He's not afraid to get stuck in and kind of he was going up against those those big Chelsea centre backs last night, winning a lot of headers. So we've definitely got players in the in, in our attacking third that can hurt you, and that's that's where our talent lies. Really, it's in it's in our attack at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Dan, the, the other side of things, we don't know what City's injury problems are like. Let me let me play you this. This was from uh, Pep Guardiola after the game against Aston Villa when he was asked uh, specifically about the injuries, if they were long-term. This is what he said. I don't think so, but yesterday the doctor came and said, this player cannot play. Okay. And after came another issue, this player cannot play. Okay. This morning come doctor said, Gundogan cannot play. Okay. But they are back, so I don't know. Kevin... Just to training session, but he's already coming back for us. So it's important for us as much players as possible because they have to compete with these guys that today they play. And all of them, they were fantastic. Are you sorry? Did you, 
Do you mean you're expecting them back for the weekend then? No, I don't know. No, Tomorrow going to say I don't know. Right now, I don't know. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. So we don't know what situation City are going to be in, Dan. I mean, there's the likelihood that, you know, Stones could still be out. Laporte will be back because he's he was he was out with suspension. Um, but Walker could still be out. There's, it feels like City could very much still be on the, on the cusp of having like 11, 12, 13 available senior players there. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of two ways to, to read into what Pep was saying there. There's one that it, it doesn't sound that bad and there's a possibility that they might be okay for the weekend. And there's another one that there's a bit of sort of mystery surrounding what he's saying that he's, he's maybe he's, he's not uh, giving us the full story there. And maybe there is there is something serious that we don't know about going on there. Um, I'd like to think it's the, the former and we will have those players back. Walker in particular, I think um, I'd like to see him back. I thought Zinchenko did play well against Aston Villa, but I'd like to see Cancelo and Walker as the fullbacks more often than not. Gundogan's one as well. I think is is really important player for us. I wouldn't imagine De Bruyne would be would be fit enough to start um, at the weekend, having recovered from COVID. Surely it's going to take him a little bit of time to get up to speed, and and we, we don't really need him to, to start if if Gundogan and, and Bernardo are, are fit. Um, you don't know whether Grealish is going to be ready to start after his little cameo against Villa. Uh, Foden didn't come off the bench. Does that mean that he was only you know fit enough to? play a few minutes at best or, or is he just being saved for the weekend it's 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 an interesting one I, I don't know I mean we have got a bit of strength in depth in terms of like young players that can come in Cole Palmer did well um when he when he played against Everton the other week so maybe he'll start at, at Watford and and uh you know he's he's a player who I, who I trust a lot at the moment but yeah we'll we'll find out when Pep does his press conference on Friday I guess what the situation is yeah David do you have any sympathy any sympathy at all <laughs> Well, I, I can because we've got a lot of injuries ourselves at the moment, so I can certainly. You don't have to be polite, mate. You. you don't have to be polite at all. We have got, we have, we have got Sar out, as I said. Uh, Adam Messina went down with an injury last night. We don't know when. Uh, I don't think we've heard yet as, as to the seriousness of of that injury. We've got uh, Francisco Sierra, probably our best centre back, along with Nicholas and Kulu, are probably our next best centre back. They're both injured. We have no no real sign of returning anytime soon. So you know we have got we have got a few problems of our of our own, but um, you know I, I don't think even if we had our full strength team, it would still be difficult against your probably not full strength team. Well, uh, before we let you go, David, let's have a, a score prediction. We've got charity bet coming up later on. Uh, I like to give mine over to the guests. So uh, what's uh, what's your score prediction for this game? Well, I'm going to say that we'll get a bit closer to you than in recent recent encounters, but I still think you'll win. I, I'm going to go with a three-one win for for Man City. A 3-1 win. We'll put that through the charity bet a bit later on. But for now, David, uh, thank you very much. David Walker from The Athletic and from The Rookery End. Cheers, guys. John, I just want to, looking ahead at the um, Leipzig game as well, which is coming this week, um, obviously what we're talking about with Dan there with the injuries, how how does Guardiola keep it fresh in, in these games? Is it, a, is it simply a case of Leipzig comes along and everybody gets a rest? It's, a, it's almost a team that, that you know, we don't recognise purely because City are already through. I think that's the way I would, and a lot of fans would like to see it happen. Um, Pep generally doesn't do that, though. He, 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 you know, RB Leipzig's still got something slightly riding on it. They they want to qualify for the Europa League, so it's it's kind of important that they win the game. And I think for that reason, um, Pep will take a reasonably strong squad. Um, but like you know, you were talking about the the. the, the who's available for Watford. And this is a chance to have actually have a week off and maybe for quite a few senior play- players to not make that flight to Germany. It's in lockdown. 
um, over there. There's you know restrictions and stuff like that. So there was half a dozen youngsters on the bench against um, uh, against Villa. So and, and obviously we know about Palmer. We know the quality of McAtee, but Wilson Esbrand looks like he can you know do a good job. It might be an opportunity for him. Um, who else are we thinking of? Uh, and Betty was on the bench as well. Centre half looks really good. Pep really rates him. And then you know you, you may be sort of sprinkling a few senior players like Ake, Zach Stefan, um, Zinchenko. Maybe some, you know some of the players who aren't playing regularly in an opportunity for them. So I, th- I think it'll be a kind of a semi-strong team. Maybe yeah. you know. I mean, how many times have we see have we gone into Carabao? Cup games against I don't know Burton Albion or something like that, and suddenly Kevin De Bruyne is on the team sheet, so he's not <laughs> he's not averse to picking big players for games that you wouldn't necessarily think were big matches. Yeah, the the classic is that Burton game where uh, it was, the team was ridiculous, wasn't it? Really, all, all told. <laughs> it was a semi final though, wasn't it? Like, it was, it, yeah, was, it, it was. But yeah, this is a nothing game. This is a total dead rubber. So it'd be it'd be a bit foolish to pick an important player for this. I think. Yeah, yeah but I think that that second leg at Burton when they were already nine 0 up, and I think didn't Sterling play in that game? I think it. Well, I think in fairness, the second leg was only was it only Sterling and Aguero in that game. So I think. Hey, you can't be too careful. <laughs> Yeah. 9-0 is the most dangerous score in football, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Dan, uh, you're obviously in Germany uh, right now. What is uh, mm. what, John mentioned restrictions. What are what are what is going on over there at the moment? Well, there's sort of talks about a, a, a nationwide lockdown. Some states have already locked down somewhat. Um, football is being played behind closed doors again for a little while now. So this game, it's, uh, Leipzig is in Saxony, and that was already called a few weeks ago that the uh, game will be played behind closed doors. Uh, there's a game coming up between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund that's going to be played behind closed doors as well, and, and several others. So uh, it's a bit of a shame for the fans who would book tickets because it would have been a really nice trip over here for them at this time of year with all the Christmas markets. Leipzig's a lovely city at this time of year but uh, unfortunately yeah no fans so it's going to be a bit weird going back to that actually because I've got I've, I've got used to fans being in stadiums it's going to feel like uh, really strange again yeah um, obviously uh, John was talking about the young players as well there you mentioned Palmer uh, a bit earlier on um, McAtee's what I'm interested in though because he's he's not had the first two minutes that uh, that Palmer's had this season already he's come off the bench a couple of times um, I'm all I'm thinking of is do you remember the Shakhtar game uh, the dead rubber in I think that was 17-18 mm. uh, I think did Foden get his first start in that game was that yeah. was that around about that time I'm just think, thinking the same think sort so, of thing yeah. for McAtee here and he played left back yeah, as well I yeah. think didn't he in that game yeah <laughs> yeah, this is a great opportunity, isn't it, to play him? I mean, I, I would like to see a sort of uh, similar team to, to what we put out against Wickham in the in the Carabao Cup. And obviously De Bruyne and a couple of other senior players played that day, but it was mostly youngsters, you know. I'd like to see Wilson Esbran playing again, McAtee playing, Lavia playing, Palmer starting. Um Give Stefan a run out in goal, um, you know, and you, and you can you can sprinkle a few senior players in there, the likes of Nathan Ake and, and maybe Zinchenko, players who haven't played an awful lot this season. Um, Fernandinho, maybe get him in there to sort of lead the young players. But yeah, like I said, I think it'd be very foolish to play to risk an injury in a game like this. And yeah. it's a nothing game for us. It's an important game for Leipzig because they need a win to to finish third and get in Europa League, really. So they're going to be up for it. They're going to be going going full strength. And if we get beat, we get beat. So what? But let's not get any injured players because that'd be ridiculous. 
Yeah. Right, well, there was another win on last week's podcast on the charity bet. That means we've now raised £830 for Man City fans' food bank support. They're collecting donations of food and of money for Manchester Central Food Bank. They help people living in poverty in the city. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single, and there's two more games to come. We'll start with David's prediction against Watford, which was a 3-1 City win. Uh, that's 10 to 1 and £100 if he's right. John, what are you having for this one? 2-0 uh, to City. Uh, 2-0 to City is 11-2 to two and £55 if you're right. Uh, Dan, what's your scoreline for this? I've gone for a 4-1. Uh, 4-1 is 16-1 to 1 and £160 if you're right. Uh, now, bearing in mind that none of us know what's coming on this uh, Leipzig game, that makes this one a really, really hard one to predict. So, <laughs> I've gone for a one-all draw. That's 7-1 to one and £70 if I'm right. Uh, John, where are you going with this one? If you're thinking about missing this one, don't. It's going to be 3-2 to City. An absolute <laughs> classic. 3-2 to City, an absolute <laughs> classic, is 20-1 to 1 and £200 if you're right. Um, and Dan, what have you gone for? I'm going to go for a 2-0 to Leipzig, actually. I think they need it more than we do. 2-0 to Leipzig is 22-1 to 1 and £220 if you're right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, take a look at begambleaware.org. <laughs> You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. It's now time to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about booing. All the ducks are swimming in the water. Booing. It's weird when you think about it. I've never been a booer myself, except for Gary Neville, which was understandable. I rarely even muster the energy to boo the Champions League anthem, should I have reached my seat by that point, of course. We all knew it was going to happen, of course, but the reception Jack Grealish got on his return to Aston Villa is still depressing to consider. Would we be any better? I think so, but I can't be sure so. We're a pathetic bunch, really, us football fans. Player leaving is treated like your wife, husband walking out on you, and taking the dog and all your Panini sticker albums with her or him, and the sriracha sauce out the fridge, which is well below the belt. How dare Grealish try and better his career? He could have been a legend at Villa Park, which is obviously preferable to winning loads of trophies. There isn't a direct parallel at City to compare whether a similar situation at City would reduce us also to the level of whimpering crybabies we've seen with some Villa fans, though the way James Milner is referred to for winding his contract down and once doing the Lasso goal celebration is the closest we have got. I've always found it a bit weird, to be honest, the reaction to him. And for the record, players should always feel free to celebrate goals against ex-teams. You're not there anymore, after all. Live for the moment. Then, of course, I remembered there was a similar situation for City. So to get right to the point, push your imagination to its absolute limits until you almost pass out. An imagination that can visualise getting jetpacks to work, unicorns roaming wildly through Withenshaw Park, and Phil Jones nudging out Lionel Messi for the Ballon d'Or. Now imagine City fans, any City fans, even a single City fan, booing Sean Wright Phillips shortly after he moved to Chelsea. 
or at any point in his career? You can't, obviously, because why would we? And that same question should be directed at a minority of Villa fans. The kid that joined Villa at six, loves the club with all his heart still, helped you get promotion and kept you up, then got you £100 million in the bank, and you're booing him for a career decision. Shame on you. With Sean, perhaps there was a slightly different situation. Because we knew our place in the pecking order, which was a big factor in accepting our fate. A section of Villa fans seem to believe their club is on the cusp of greatness once more, making Grealish's decision all the more baffling. Deluded football fans? Well, I never saw that coming. But then, as I've already alluded to, we cannot be surprised by the actions of football fans. This is a fan base, one of many, of whom a minority booed Raheem Sterling when he touched the ball. Norwich fans once booed his every touch too. Norwich fans. While other fan bases have been booing Grealish all season for daring to move from one club to another, the first time this has ever happened in the history of association football. Sheep, devoid of free thought or logic. It's as ridiculous as me sat in my seat at the Etihad booing Leon Bailey every time he touched the ball. It was quite entertaining, truth be told, as rumours circulated that City were after Grealish to witness the Villa fan base, again, a minority, inhabiting social media platforms, going through the many stages of the grieving process. It naturally began with denial and outright disdain at the possibility of him leaving. This ramped up and up the stronger the rumours became, when it was clear to all that it was probably happening. Emotions switched to anger as this traitor who claimed to love Villa to the core was now going to go back on that love and leave. But you can't love a football club and play elsewhere, it seems. That's impossible, if you blinkered anyway. Now it's developed into a constant surveillance operation, keen to undermine just how good he actually was and is, never rated him anyway, etc., and picking out any performance under 8 out of 10, any period in time when he doesn't score and assist goals. It just makes the grieving process easier for football fans at the end of the day. The anger has remained to the point that grown men, and perhaps women too, but probably mostly men, will be waving badly written banners at Villa Park, letting the world know their true feelings about Jack, whilst posting millions of snake emojis on social media and message boards. Maybe some aren't over Fabian Delft's portrayal a few years back. Let's be honest, it did play a blinder there, showing levels of indecision similar to when I'm deciding what to get at the chippy. And for the record, curry sauce with fish, gravy with sausages and pies, scraps subject to availability. It's come to something when the official account for Aston Villa has to tweet to welcome him back to the club, a move that was always doomed to failure as it would simply bring the gammons back out of the woodwork. It could have been different, he could have left on good terms from all sides, earned the gratitude of the fans for all he's given to the club and everyone could have moved on with their lives. But that's not how many football fans operate. So if the status of the two clubs was ever somehow reversed and Phil Foda went to Villa, would we behave any better? I would, but perhaps others may not. But it still baffles me that so many fans do not understand that this is just a job to players. Yes, it's no normal job and unique emotional attachments can form, but those same emotional attachments that all fans have for their own club can severely cloud judgments and dispel all logic. There's ways and means of going about it, of course, from the players' perspective, if you want to move, which is why many will be aggrieved, should it be true, and I have no idea if it is, if something like Ferran Torres demanding a move in December whilst injured comes to pass. Grealish himself, though, was the perfect gentleman, never moaned, never leaked stories to the press, always spoke of his love for Villa and still does. He made a tough decision and that is that. And if club wants to get rid of a player and the fans want rid too, then we cannot really complain when the roles are reversed and the player wishes to leave. 
Yes, they're under contract, but isn't that just a financial document to protect clubs? It's only binding to fans and clubs and players and agents when it suits. The problem is when a fan base assume a player has an emotional connection with their club that is not reciprocated. Cristiano Ronaldo had no qualms about joining City, while there were still United fans who thought he was essentially on loan to other clubs for the last decade or so. And it would undoubtedly be City fans bereft and angry should Roberto Mancini move to the dark side and become United manager. Such people should passionately support Italy, should they need to play Portugal in a World Cup decider. I guess it's the sad reality of being a football player nowadays, this reaction. There's little connection between fans and players anyway. Their social media output is outsourced to PR companies. And who can blame them? If they said as much as hello on Twitter, they'd probably get death threats and a slur from a Tory MP. But back to Villa Park, Jack Grealish subject to torrents of booze cascading down from the terraces, made worse by him coming on as a sub late on, allowing a few moments for the spotlight to be shone directly on him and only him. Well, not quite as it turned out, because perhaps this whole article has been a lie, because perhaps I judge human nature far too much according to the actions of a few people often posting anonymously on social media platforms. There were boos, as we know there would be. There was always going to be boos. But there was applause too. It was no arena of hell for Grealish. He seemed relaxed throughout the evening. It was not as bad as I expected. At the end of the match, Grealish remained on the pitch and went around the ground, applauding the fans still there. A nice touch and a jolt of reality for me, who had viewed his relationship with his old club and its fans through the prism of the internet. Proof perhaps that to group football fans into one group is foolish and impossible, that while most of us lose all rationality when switching to football fan mode, most people are still essentially decent people at the end of the day, despite what you read on the internet every day. And most Villa fans are not like the minority that shamed Wembley away at the cup final last year. Most are not on Twitter calling Grealish a snake, lying about how good he is and endlessly boring the pants off everyone, talking about their 1982 European Cup triumph. Most accept the order of things and are keen to get on with things and with life. I would wish Jack Grealish all the best if they met him face to face, as it should be. There's hope for us all yet, unless you're a United fan, obviously. Hi, this is Ian Bishop. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. That was Howard Hawking. Um, just before we move on, uh, Howard mentioned it there. Uh, John, the prospect of, of Roberto Mancini managing at Old Trafford. Um, how would you feel about that? Well, uh, as professionally, I think that he would be a good appointment for United because you, you can see with the with the, what he's done with Italy that he's still. A good coach. He, he got the. I don't think that's a particularly great. It's a good squad that Italy have got. But I don't think it's a brilliant squad. But he managed to get them through to the final uh, and win the Euros. Uh, although obviously now they're struggling to qualify for the World Cup. But he's coaching wise, he's still um, very good, and he would make a good appointment. Even though he'll ruffle some feathers at Old Trafford like he did at, uh, at City. Yeah. Um, let, okay, yeah. But, okay. Yeah. But let, let, we we all know we don't want your professional opinion here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how you feel about Mancini possibly going to United. <laughs> yeah, I think it would it would obviously damage his legacy. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think when he left, 
Um, I was working at the Manchester United News at the time. He took out a full-page ad thanking the fans. And he was the first person to do that. And I thought it was a brilliant touch. Um, it's very simple, but a really clever way of getting across like how, how special it was, his time at City. Um, and it would... It would, you know, there's no doubt about it. It would tarnish it if he was to go to United. Um, so, yeah, I would hope as a City fan that it doesn't happen. Dan, would you, uh, would you would you be able to console yourself if it happened? I'd be gutted. I'd pro- I would probably cry actually. Yeah, yeah. I, the, what worries me a little bit is that because my first thought when I heard this this rumor the other day was why would he go there? Like he's a blue through and through. He wouldn't do that to us, would he? And, and then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, maybe he would do it actually. Maybe the kind of acrimonious circumstances under which he left City would would make him feel like he, he wants to sort of get one over on the club and, and maybe he's entitled to, to a bit of bit of revenge there. So maybe he would actually take that job. And obviously it's a huge job in, in football, isn't it? And um, and I'm sure he'd be, he'd be very handsomely paid if, if he went there. What I find a hard, have a harder time believing is uh, that United would actually appoint him. I could imagine him being on their shortlist, but I could imagine him being pretty low down that shortlist. I feel like if you are a club with you know, ambitions of becoming an elite club in, in 2021. I don't think you hire Roberto Mancini anymore. I feel like he's he's done well with Italy because the circumstances are right for him there, but I don't know whether he, whether he would step into a top club job again and, and win stuff. So I would, be, I would be pretty surprised if they went for him. I think they'd have to be turned down by quite a few people before they before they came knocking at his door. But, you know, let's just let's just hope to God that it doesn't happen. Yeah, let's say it's kind of the worst of all worlds, really, isn't it, if he ends up there? <laughs> yeah. um, let's finish with some listener questions. Uh, get them sent in for next week on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, first up is Blue Cal on Twitter, who says, uh, do you think this week showed why Fernandinho is no longer an automatic starter? Sure, he scored against West Ham, but he gave the ball away for their goal and he looked off the pace after about an hour against Villa. John, what did you make of uh, Fernandinho at Villa Park? I thought he was good. Yeah, obviously he was um, called in because of the situation. He's not a regular starter. Um, And, yeah, we can't get away from the fact that he's getting older and he's not as mobile as he once was. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was was a great scene to score the goal against West Ham. I think... I think City generally, as a team, kind of switched off a little bit because the game was won against West Ham. And yeah, it was a daft goal to concede um, when they worked so hard to keep West Ham out. Um, but yeah, and the other thing to say as on Fernandinho, you know, why he's not playing is is the form of Rodri. Um, I think he, his first three months have been his best period since he joined the club. He looks like he knows exactly what is required of him. He also looks like he's comfortable telling people around him what to do rather than, you know, he's becoming a senior player now. He's not afraid to to, to tell other players they're in the wrong position. They should be doing this. They should be, you need to win that ball. He's not afraid to have a go at referees and argue with them. Um, so I, as much as Fernandinho's not what he was, you know, Rodri is really stepping up now as, as, as the main man in the, as a DM. Yeah, the the one thing I do wonder about Fernandinho Dan is um, you think back to the end of last season when when he came in for those Champions League games, the crucial Champions League games. It is only what four or five months ago that it's not a long time ago that that happened, and he was still a crucial part of the team there. I just wonder if if the form that we've seen from him this week is simply because he's not been in the team. 
Probably, yeah. I mean, he's no spring chicken, obviously. Um, he is getting to the, the the very, very tail end of his career now, but I think that there is something in that that he's perhaps not in the rhythm of playing. I think it was definitely the right decision to give him another contract because I think he's so important to, to being in the dressing room and being the captain of the club and um, you know, you can't put a price on that kind of thing, really. I think it's good that we can we can we can bring him in for games like last night. I mean, it, uh, I think that the, the team news got leaked yesterday, didn't it, on, on on Twitter? And a lot of people were a bit pessimistic about the game when they saw that we were playing with um, with the double pivot or the two defensive midfielders, whatever you want to call it. And I thought for sixty minutes it worked brilliantly, and then then Fernandinho started running out of a little bit of steam and um, was giving the ball away a little bit. I don't think he became a, a total liability, but I think you can definitely see that he's creaking a little bit now days and uh yeah, yeah maybe get, getting him a bit more uh game time in the coming weeks might get a bit of rhythm back um i, I mean i do worry an awful lot you, you mentioned you asked earlier in the show if, if bernardo is our most important player i would say rodri is probably our most important player now because i do wonder how we would look if he got injured at the moment i think we'd be a, a much lesser team yeah and of course fernandinho released uh, jesus for the goal um for bernardo's goal yeah. so it was a it was a great pass to to set that off and that links us to uh, simon proston's question on twitter uh, he says i was lucky enough to be in the away end to see bernardo's goal tonight what is the best goal you guys have seen live in the ground and when did you know it was going to be a memorable one with bernardo's i just felt like it was going in as the cross was coming towards him john you talked about that 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 kind of feeling of of oh god don't hit it but there is sometimes, like Simon says, and I kind of got the feeling as well when the ball was coming to him, yeah, he might hit this and it's it's probably going to go in. No, it wasn't a don't hit it. It was like, no, it was like, no, you, you can't do this. This is ridiculous. Oh, right, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> it, and, and, and he did it. Um, and yeah, like Simon asked the question, yeah, it was brilliant that half a second where you thought, this is going to be a brilliant goal. Um, so we, I mean, the ones I, I I've thought this could be end up being a, a great goal. I think from the uh, sort of Pep era, there's been a few of those goals where you start counting the passes, when you start dragging players all over the pitch, and where the the opposition almost give up chasing the ball because they're just passing it around them, and you start counting. You know, you th- start thinking they've had the ball a long time here. If this if this ends up with a goal, um, it's going to be just incredible. Um, so I'm thinking like Gundogan against United, yeah, uh, Sane against West Brom. It was just straight from the kickoff. Just thinking, you know, they've not touched it yet, and it's like two minutes on the clock. <laughs> They're not going to score here. This is outrageous. Um, but I think the question's more sort of like the instant, isn't it? Where so I'm going to have to go all the way back to. Um, Andy Hinchcliffe, I think, <laughs> uh, the header against against United. Yeah, just that that was one of those where it was in the ball for an aid, and you just think, oh, I just just put this in because it's a great goal. Yeah, Dan, the the one I always think of. Uh, I thought John was going to say it then. Uh, Sane at Arsenal. Um, oh when, yeah. When they when they I think it was the third one when they broke uh, in the first half. Again, that was in the snow. Um, they broke in the oh, yeah. first half and uh, they'd had that really mad spell of possession in their own half where they were just pinging it at each other and, and just keeping possession. And then suddenly they were three on three uh, the, the kind of for the defence. And I'm thinking, if this if this next pass is right, they're going to score it. And they, <laughs> and I think it, I think Aguero uh, slipped in. Uh, I can't remember who it, was, who it would have been, but it was somebody down the right-hand side and they knocked it across for Sane. And the only thing that frustrates me about it is Sane scuffed the finish. <laughs> were, you, were you in the ground for that one though? Ah, oh, that's a point. I wasn't in the ground. That was the that. question, I was on, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was on yeah, telly, yeah. so I, it doesn't count. Yeah, 
That's a shame. <laughs> well, well, my answer to that question for one's always in the ground for, I'm going to go back a few years now because I think what makes these goals for me so memorable is that they were quite rare at the time. I mean, you think we scored two amazing goals against Everton the other week that have sort of been memory hold already, really, by this Bernardo one. But, you know, back in the day, we didn't score goals like this very often. So I always remember Nicholas Jensen against Leeds at Main yeah. Road. That's one of my favourite ever goals that I, I saw. I was at the in the north stand at the other end of the pitch. I just remember the guy behind me jumping on me. It was so kind of surprising that that happened and the way the ball kind of beautifully arcs off his left foot into the far corner. It's just magnificent. Um, I remember Danny Mills' goal against Everton very well oh, as yes. well. That was a very yeah, unexpected yeah. goal. Um, and another, I, another one to, to throw in, I was in the ground for this one, uh, mm. was Michael Ball at Preston. Um, oh, yeah. Because uh, Bernardo Carrani did something ridiculous on the edge of the box because he never, like he scored three times in his entire City career, but th- th- they played it yeah. into his feet. And he flicked it up, turned and volleyed it, and it hit the inside of the post and bounced out. And I was right <laughs> i was right behind Michael Ball in the away end. And I could see him running onto it, and I thought, he's going to hit this. And then he hit it in off the same spot on the post and, and, and into the back of the net. And it was one of them that I was, because I was so directly behind the shot, I knew it was in the second it left his foot. <laughs> Yeah, well, the other one I was going to say as well was um, Stephen Ireland's last-minute winner against Reading. Uh, not only oh, yeah. was it a beautiful goal, but it was a last-minute winner, so that, that automatically takes it up about about 10 points, doesn't it? Um, and, of course, Martin Demichelis against Fulham, which was a game we mentioned earlier, I think, wasn't it? So yeah. that was a, a beautiful uh, goal from him. Yeah, not often that a player celebrates. Really. Yeah, not, not often that a player celebrates before it crosses the line, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always good to see. Right, so that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, please go and give it a rating and a review wherever you can, but especially on Apple Podcasts if you can. That helps other City fans find the show and it helps us pay the bills with the adverts as well. If you'd like to go further and help out or you'd just like the show without the ads, then you can sign up to become a Patreon backer. If you do, for just £2 a month, you'll get a weekly bonus podcast every Monday. So that's four or five shows for you two pounds depending on the length of the month we've new formats this season last monday was a city heaven city hell that's when a city fan and an opposition fan each pick a good and bad game against each other last week's was howard hawking and leeds fan john mckenzie discussing meetings between the two sides on monday coming up it's a return to the games that made me a city fan simon curtis picks out five matches that shaped his support of city all the details for those are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast special thanks to my guests this week jonathan smith cheers and Dan Burke. Pleasure as always. I'll be back next week to review the games against Watford and Leipzig, so I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.